So Money Episode 891, Bola Sekunbi, founder of Clever Girl Finance. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We downsized everything. We went from living in a five-bedroom house into a tiny little apartment. We went from having multiple cars to just one car. For many women, especially those who are women of color, access to financial education isn't as readily available. But our guest today is trying to change that once and for all. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're welcoming the founder of Clever Girl Finance, Bola Sekunbi. Bola received an early lesson in money when her father became ill and had to stop working unexpectedly. The problem with this was that he'd used up all of his money to send her three brothers others to college and didn't have any money left over for Bola to further her education. Luckily, it was her mother who began out as a homemaker, told her that she would pay for Bola's schooling from the money that she'd set aside from her side hustles and entrepreneurial pursuits over the years. Because of her mother's hard work, Bola was able to leave Nigeria, get an education, and go on to found her own business, empowering women to be financially savvy. Her company, Clever Girl Finance, has helped thousands of women over the years receive the coaching and financial education they need to advance their lives. Bola is also the author of the forthcoming book, Clever Girl Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money, and Build Real Wealth. It will be available on June 25th. Here's Bola Sekunbi. Bola Sekunbi, welcome to So Money, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I'm so thrilled to have you on, especially now uh, as you are about to launch your book. And for listeners who um, may have been, you know, listening to so many for several years now, you may remember Bola was on the show back in uh, 2017, the summer of 2017. You and I co-hosted an Ask Farnoosh Jam session, and uh, we tackled a lot of listeners' debt problems. Um, You, Bola, are the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance, which is one of the top destinations for financial literacy, financial empowerment, particularly for women of color. And your story started back in Nigeria as a little girl. Your mother was your, you call her your hustle queen and has been for for many years like the inspiration for you. So let's start there. I think that going back to our money story and the earliest of beginnings is always um, crucial and insightful. And I know that's a big part of your overall journey. So tell us about the hustle queen mom that you had and and what you learned from her. Yeah. So um, my mom got married really young. She got married when she was 19 years old. My dad was a little older and she didn't go to college. She just had her high school diploma and she got into this marriage, um, had four kids. And while having kids, my father got this really amazing job in Austria. And so they moved their lives abroad from Nigeria and they settled there. And as my mom was kind of navigating life in a new country and raising four kids, I was born in Austria. 
um, she started to see things with her friends that she didn't like. Um, so a lot of her friends like her were stay at home moms, which is, you know, great, especially when you have four young kids to raise. But at the same time, she was realizing that a lot of her friends had no idea about their family finances, what their husbands did with the money, how much their husbands were earning. As she was getting older, uh, she started to see some of her friends getting divorced. And because they had no idea about the finances, they were, you know, left with nothing. There were many conversations I was eavesdropping on with my mom and her friends with her consoling them, saying to them, I'm so sorry, I'll try to help you. There are many times where we had friends, her friends sleeping over at our house. And on the flip side, it was also that because they didn't know where the finances were, if their husband unfortunately passed away, um, in many instances, the husband's family would come in and just take over everything and that the woman again would be left with nothing. And so my mom decided that after she had me, she just didn't want that to be her case. And my mom decided that she was going to go to college and be able to start creating her own financial contributions to our household and also start money, putting money aside for herself. So at the age of about 34, my mom started her first undergraduate degree, held me by the hand. I would go to her college classes and she would put me in the corner and tell me to shh. <laughs> um, so she went on to do that. She got her undergrad, got two master's degrees. Um, we moved back to Nigeria. My mom went into investment banking. And from there, she just started hustling. She opened a hair salon. She opened a daycare center. She opened a bakery. She had a soft drink distribution franchise. And she was just hustling and putting money aside because she was just terrified of not having any options. And so fast forward about, you know, Several years later, I was getting ready to go to college and my dad had a major financial downturn um, in the sense that he had to retire about 15 years earlier than he had planned. Um, and in the grand scheme of someone's retirement planning, 15 years is a big deal. So we downsized everything. We went from living in a five bedroom house into a tiny little apartment. We went from having multiple cars to just one car. And at that time, my father had spent a lot of his earnings sending my brothers to school abroad because at the time in Nigeria, um, the economic system was not stable. And so it was taking people seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years to get through college because there was always strikes. And so my mom was like, well, my parents were like, well, we can't afford to send you to college. We can't afford to send you to college abroad. Um, so we're just going to have to figure out how you're going to go to college here. And at that point, my mom was like, okay, I've been putting money aside. Um, I'm going to step up and pay for your college education. It's not your privilege. It's not your right. I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> and your agreement is that you're going to seek, seek scholarships where you can, and you're going to get good grades and make me proud because I'm doing this for you at the expense of my own retirement. And the only reason why my mom was able to do that was because she had been hustling and hustling and putting money aside. And she was able to, to step in and not just support my dad, but also support me going to college, which was, you know, a huge deal and a gift I'm forever grateful for. So that's, you know, part of the early stages of my, my money wow. story. I'm I'm stuck on that scene of you going to college classes with her and sh she's shushing you in the corner. My goodness. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that today? I, do you have children? Yeah, I have five-year-old twins. There's no way I could take my son to a college class. No way, yeah. Well, I guess I'd have to bring the iPad. <laughs> this is, this I know what's <laughs> What's funny is that um, I went to, so I went to, I went back to college in Austria and I remember taking a class and there was this professor and she kept telling me, there's something so familiar about you. And I was like, I've never met you. What? I don't know you. And then I randomly mentioned it to my mom and my mom was like, that was one of my professors and you were always in her class with me. 
Wow. And you were like four or five years old. That gives me goosebumps. (laughs) That's really life like coming full circle in some ways. Okay. So tell us about your mom today. And um, I also want to know, you know, how did your mother's hustle and your mother's pursuit of financial independence impact her marriage? Did you witness any of that? I don't know, because traditionally that probably wasn't expected of women. It wasn't, it wasn't women weren't normally in that position of being, you know, working and making money Mm -hmm. and being financially independent. And how did that, how did that come, how did that impact her relationship, you think, with, with your dad? So I'll start off by saying that my parents are still married. (laughs) This is their 50th year anniversary. But growing up, it was was a lot of battles. It was a lot of stress. My dad was just not about that life. Like what bakery, what master's degree, what is this nonsense? He just wasn't having it. But my mom stood her ground and she fought back. And I remember there was a time where my parents, their marriage was going through a lot of strain because my mom just wanted to stand on her own two feet. And she took me and she, she moved with me to New York, Albany, New York, and my dad for, for a couple of years. Um, and she went about getting another master's degree, you know, and they kind of sorted it out, but there was a lot of strain, um, because my dad was resistant. A lot of his friends, you know, most of their wives are stay at home or stay at home right. moms, um, not working, not bringing income. And they were the bosses of the home. Um, but as time went by, um, my dad kind of got with the program <laughs> yeah. and eventually when he went through that financial downturn, he realized, wait a minute, if not because of what this woman, um, put herself out there to do, mm-hmm. this would be a completely different story. Wow. Okay. How proud is she of you today? And I want to talk about Clever Girl Finance, right? And what was the impetus for that? Was there always this idea of becoming your own boss and helping other women with finance? But how, how is your relationship with your mom today? So my mom and I are very close. She's, um, she's kind of like half and half here and in Nigeria. Um, and today my mom is a nurse. She followed her passion. Um, after she left investment banking, she always wanted to be uh, a nurse, her older sister, the midwife. And it's something that she always wanted to do, but never got around to doing. And so now she is today and she does that part-time. She's an infant, infant nurse. And so when I had my twins, she was amazing. Um, and she's just proud. She, she's like, I don't really understand everything that you do but I'm proud of you because you're teaching other women about money. You're teaching women to stand on their own two feet. And she would always tell me, you must never be a liability on anybody else, including yourself. So, um, so starting Clever Wealth Finance is interesting because I, I didn't start it because I didn't have the dream to start something. Oh, my mom did all these things. I'm going to start this business. Mm-hmm. It just kind of came to me by accident. So I'd always liked, you know, um, talking about money, saving money, you know, the story of when I first graduated from college, saving a hundred K, um, talking to my friends about it and them asking me questions. And what I found is that as I got older, got into my early thirties, you know, having kids, I started to see a lot of my friends, you know, getting married, getting divorced, becoming stay at home moms. And a lot of the things I saw happening with my mom and her friends when I was a child, I started to see it happening with 
my friends and I, where my friends, you know, a lot of, some of us wouldn't know anything about finances or divorces would happen. And it would be just really difficult to navigate finances and make sure that they came out on their own two feet. So that was one of the inspirations for starting Clever Girl Finance. I was like, wait a minute, I want to do something that is impactful. I was also in this space after having my twins, where I was, I think was a little bit of postpartum depression, where I just felt like you know, what I was doing at work wasn't very meaningful, even though I liked my job. And I was sort of searching for something else to do. And so I was like, why don't I just talk about my experience with saving money and how I taught myself how to invest and, you know, my mom's story and things like that. And that's where Clever Girl Finance was born. And uh, who is your target audience specifically? And then I want to talk about some of the challenges that your audience faces um, and your kind of unique your unique approach to helping women. But who, so three questions, I guess there, sorry. <laughs> Who's your audience? What are their challenges and how are you meeting them? So my audience is women who are going through life transitions. Um, it's a platform open to all women. Um, obviously I'm a woman of color, so I tend to attract a lot of women of color and, you know, that's really awesome. A lot of us don't grow up having conversations about money at the dinner table. And so it's basically a platform for women who are going through life transitions. It could be graduating from college. It could be negotiating your, you know, your salary or switching between jobs. It could be having your first child or getting married or getting divorced or wanting to start um, a business or wanting to um, plan for your child. Whatever life transition you're going through are you know, the women that we target and that we create content to accommodate. Um, some of the, the major issues that I find with our target audience is that it's, it's just the lack of knowledge. And it's not because we're not smart. We're incredibly smart. We're graduating from colleges at you know, at record pace, we are opening businesses at record pace. It's just, we weren't raised talking about money and the people that we go to, um, to have conversation about money with don't necessarily have the best information to give us because they also don't know. And so, um, because of this, um, you know, we live in this day and age where you should know what a budget is. You should know what a stock is. You should know all these fancy financial terms. And so a lot of us, a lot of my, you know, a lot of women I interact with will say, yes, I do know, but they may not necessarily be that comfortable talking about it because in actuality they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of self judgment. They feel all these mistakes with money and if they're bad with money, there's a lot of um, comparison because my friends are doing this and this and that and that, and I should be at this level. And so it's really just supporting them to break down the barriers and make them understand that everybody has to learn how to be, you know, good with money. And it's a skill you learn, like riding, riding a bike or learning to swim, and there's no shame in it. And so the approach of Clever Girl Finance is if you cannot laugh, you're going to cry. So you might as well just laugh. <laughs> I like that philosophy. Yes, I'm on, I'm on board with that. Um, and so we just make it fun. Our approach on social media with our content is to make it fun, to make it a little bit, you know, uh, uh, shady or like, you know, snazzy, mm -hmm. but we try to make the approach something that you can just, you can just talk about in everyday conversation and make it part of the new normal where it's okay to talk about money. It's okay to talk about incomes. It's okay to talk about investing. It's okay to talk about debt and how you're going to get yourself out of it. It's okay to start having these conversations. And what's really important for me is that by having these conversations, by making women feel comfortable to talk about money, we're also going to be 
be comfortable to talk to our children about money. And then we will start to change that narrative where, you know, money now becomes something that we talked about at the dinner table with our kids and they can grow up having, you know, money knowledge as just part of their upbringing. And you do this across so many platforms, the blog, the podcast, YouTube, you have coaching, and also you have a book coming out, your inaugural book, uh, aptly titled Clever Girl Finance. And um, is this more of the same that you can get through all of these other platforms or does the book offer um, some, maybe some, something, you know, unique or different that you, you won't get anywhere else? So this book is essentially the book I wish I had when I was coming out of college and trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my $40,000 after taxes salary. (laughs) And one of the unique things about this book is that I'm sharing financial concepts. I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing a lot of how to's, but I'm also, um, make helping women understand that my story and, you know, all these financial how to's learning how to do them is not unique. And so I feature, um, other women throughout the book that have, come from a variety of different backgrounds and have accomplished really major things with their finances, um, from paying off student loans while supporting their family, from getting out of almost a million dollars in debt, from navigating um, paying off debt with their spouses. I'm featuring women um, who have done these incredible things just to help my readers, the women who are going to be reading this book, understand that these things are happening every day and they're not isolated incidences. And it's all a matter of being intentional. So um, that's really, you know, a part of the, the book that makes it unique. I'm sure you're reading a lot of um, uh, articles these days and there's, there's, there seems to be like sort of a cultural inflection point. People are a little annoyed with like personal finance advice, right? Because there's so <laughs> many systemic problems in the world. There are, right? There's racism, there's sexism, mm-hmm. there's um, institutions that don't necessarily care about you know, consumers, they, they're out to get you. And, um, that's a big part of the problem. And I'm sure you've heard within your community things like feedback, like I didn't get the raise because I feel like I was, um, you know, because of discrimination or because, um, I sort of feel like the system is stacked against me. How do you address those issues within Clever Girl Finance? Those issues that aren't necessarily, we don't feel we have control over, but yet are such a big part of our ability to succeed. I mean, those issues definitely exist. I hear them all the time. But, you know, when it comes to creating the life you want to live, right, um, the issues are always going to be there. There's always going to be racism. There's always going to be, you know, all these different issues that exist. And, you know, over time, maybe they will resolve themselves, but they're going to be there and they're there right now. Let's put it that way. And so by getting your personal finances in order, it ties directly into how you're able to navigate yourself around these issues. Because when you have your finances in order, you're able to give yourself options. You don't get the promotion at work because of racism, because of gender issues. Then guess what? You can, because you have money in the bank account to support yourself, you can quit that job and find something else that you're really going to love. That's really going to value you, you know, given your skill set and what you bring to the table. But when your finances are all over the place and you're like, oh my God, I have, you know, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I cannot quit this job. Then you're forced to be in that situation and deal with that, whether you want to or not, whether there's a way around it or not. So I totally see where, you know, the backlash has come 
shopping, from personal finance, because there's all kinds of other issues. But at the same time, when your finances are in order, you're able to create options for yourself and you right. can find ways to navigate around those issues. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of solutions and it's an imperfect system. And I do still think that, and I think we agree on this, that personal accountability is a big part of the solution, right? Believing Absolutely. that you have the resources, the ability, the, the acumen to like do what's right. And you got to live below your means, pay off your debt, invest your money, ask for the raise. Like, so we're just going to stop telling people to do these things because, well, <laughs> What's the point? You know, no, I think that, um, you got to control what you can control. And to your point, when you have a financial foundation, then suddenly you, you, you have more options. If you're drowning and you're not learning how to swim along the way, well, you're going to continue to drown, right? Um, well, uh, let's talk about, um, you know, some of the mistakes you made, uh, as you were uh, arriving at, um, oh my know, God, <laughs> you know, your adulthood and sort of, uh, this is May, this episode is airing in the month of May, which is graduation month. And our partner, our, our brand sponsor for this episode is Chase. And we want to ask our guests, what is the one thing you wish you had learned about money upon graduating from college? There were so, so when I graduated from college, I didn't know anything about money. I moved from Austria here. My parents were still in Nigeria, um, a whole new system of mon- managing money. I'd never had a credit card, never been approached to own a credit card before. Didn't know what a 401k was. I wish there were so many things I wish I knew, but I sort of figured it out. Um, at the time, it was a little more difficult because there were not a lot of financial resources um, for people like me, for women. It was a lot of um, white male <laughs> financial stuff that didn't really Mm -hmm. um, support, um, you know, women being financially well. I remember walking into a financial planner's office and I was like, I'm able to save um, this much money every month. And he's like, well, are you married? Where did you get the money? So there's a lot I wish I knew. But when it comes to mistakes, um, oh my God, I've made so many mistakes along my journey. Um, But I'll tell you one that is, um, you know, the one I talk about the most, because it's also something that I think about because it burns, um, is... I got to this point where I had saved all this money. I had six figures in my bank account. I was really, you know, I was so happy. My, I told my mom, my parents were proud of me. And I was like, well, I've been like scrimmaging and like being really frugal for so long. I deserve something really nice for myself. And so I was like, I'm going to buy a handbag. I'm going to go buy a Chanel handbag. And it was a bag I really wanted. I went and pur- purchased this bag. It was my coveted item. You know, I um, didn't touch my savings to to, um, to purchase it. I had put separate money aside for it. And so I bought this one handbag and I was like, wait a minute. A few months later, why don't I just get another one, right? So I kind of got into this space where I felt like I had all this money in the bank. And as opposed to being that aggressive saver that I had been, I sort of slowed down my savings every few months to purchase another handbag. And that's perfectly fine because it fit into my budget. You know, all of this was, you know, it was good. I wasn't in debt. I wasn't going, I was paying cash. But what was the problem with this situation was that I was buying these designer handbags, specifically Chanel. And I was not using them. So the cost per wear was not existent. They were sitting in my closet and it was really ridiculous. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was like, these purses are hideous. You're wasting your money. Why are you doing this? And one day I looked in my closet, you know, I think I kind of got over the hype and I was like, oh my God, all I can see right now are dollar bills stacked 
in mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So I spent, you know, a while getting them all together and I sold them. And luckily for me, I was able to sell all of them for more than what I paid or exactly what I paid. That first handbag wow. I purchased, <laughs> the first handbag I purchased, I paid, I think 2,800 for it. And I sold it for 5,400 crazy. What? I don't even want to get into that. But anyway, that sounds like a win-win. Um, but for me, it was a massive financial mistake because at that same time, which is where the irony comes into play at that same time where I was buying, you know, the handbags, um, I was also starting to teach myself how to invest. And one of the stocks I was investing in was Amazon, but I just wasn't buying as much. And I ran through a calculator um, a couple of years ago and I was like, wait a minute, if I had taken that 2800 or 2900 and put it into Amazon at the time, in today's money, I would have over $35,000 from the one handbag. So that's a financial mistake. Um, obviously, I'm still a huge handbag girl, but very moderation these days. And um, yeah, so that's what I usually talk about. Oh my gosh. But I'm really impressed that you were able to sell some of these bags for more than what you paid for. I've heard that about Chanel, that it's some women justify the purchase and they say, well, it's an investment because the value of these bags only co- continues to go up. And I, um, I feel like that's a false, <laughs> it's like a falsehood that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better, but you actually lived it. Well, I don't consider them an investment, right? For me, I, you can call it an investment because I was not using the handbags and I bought like the, the handbags that are considered their classic line. But you have to consider the fact that when you're selling these bags, um, you have to be selling them in pristine condition, which means you're buying a bag to keep in your house that you're not going to use because you're trying to invest it. What if it gets damaged? What if it gets stolen? And then you have to keep all the boxes and receipts and authenticity cards. Yes. And then when you're moving, you have all these other things you need to take care of. I mean, just put your money in, in something else. <laughs> yeah, put it in a stock or put it in an index fund. Right. Exactly. If you're buying a bag, buy it because you want to use it and you're going to use it for its quality over time. It's going to last you years. Um, not as an investment. Uh, I'd love to go back in time a little bit again and, and talk about when you um, when you journeyed into developing Clever Girl Finance. I recall that you um, won some grants and you entered some incubators. I don't know. I don't remember, but it was really um, inspiring, especially now as I'm developing a financial company for women. I I'm, I'm new to all the like uh, resources, and I just want to know, like maybe the, the the good question that we can all le- uh, learn from from your answer is like, as you're starting a company, what are some of the resources available to women business owners and women startup owners? Because I think raising capital for everybody is really difficult in the beginning. There's not a lot of like, I mean, people often tend to max out their credit cards. They sell mm-hmm. their assets to build that um, really important cash flow and that stream to keep them going month to month. How did you do it? So that's a a really great question. And one I actually don't get asked that I always want to talk about. So thank you for asking that. Um, So when I started Clever Off Finance, I started with personal money. And one of the things um, I did when I started was I started it as a part-time business. And I didn't want running my business to impact you know, the financial obligations that we had at home or like any of the plans that we had. So I worked at part time for about 24 months. And while I was doing that, I was putting money aside to be able to last me 18 months of a salary so that I wouldn't have to like, you know, 
disturb what we were doing. Um, during that process, uh, I actually started to look for resources for women-owned businesses, for businesses in general. And to be honest, there's not a lot, um, especially, you know, you hear the stat about women funding and women, women, women being able to get capital. And I got to live that because it is really difficult. And so I just started looking for um, incubators because I was like, well, even if I, even if I can't raise capital right now, um, I can equip myself with knowledge to be able to grow and scale my business. So one of the, um, programs I got into was a Goldman Sachs, um, uh, uh, business program, mm-hmm. 10,000 small businesses, which is a $50,000 seat. Your seat costs $50,000. Um, but everything is free of charge. It's over four months. Um, the value of your seat is $50,000. So I did that. That was an incredible experience. I learned so much. And then, um, just through my network and through advisors, I was able to, um, apply to Techstars in New York city. And I got a hundred thousand dollars of equity investment in my business as well. Um, which again was an incredible experience. Um, the network is so amazing. And so being able to get into those two things, um, was just basically networking and putting myself out there and going out to present myself and creating pitches to pitch to, um, the judges on the application and just to impress people. And even today, um, I'm constantly, you know, it's not my comfort zone, but I'm constantly pitching. I'm constantly networking. I'm constantly going to meetings to introduce myself because even if the opportunities are not easily accessible, a lot of times you'll be able to find opportunities through the people that you meet and the people that you're able to impress upon your mission and what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your business. So, um, for anyone who's listening, who's kind of in this space, like, Oh my God, I'm not able to raise capital. I can't get funding. I don't want to, I've maxed out my credit cards. I didn't know what to do. Um, Leverage your network, put yourself out there, find programs you can apply to, incubators, accelerators, and just, um, you know, just get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> it's hard, but it's possible. Yeah, that's really good advice. It seems like it's the only option in some ways. You know, we're starting our company and we were grateful to get a small business line of credit from Chase, um, uh, actually, a, a what is it called? A, um, SBA loan, which I know they're like really hard to get. And we um, self-funded a lot of Stacks House. We also had brand partnerships. But as we built the next few of these, sort of tapped out our, our personal savings. So now it's really looking into more brand partnerships, but also potentially these kinds of grants and incubators. Um, because what also you need in the beginning besides money is resources. Right. Yeah. So one, um, we, we found one program that would actually give us office space, which would be really a great savings. And also within that off, within that office space, you're with other like-minded entrepreneurs and other, like they have workshops going on all day. So it's, it's sort of like a WeWork, but for startups and within this, um, financial institution, um, grooming the, the small businesses of tomorrow. I'll send you that, in, that information if you're interested. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know that. And some companies like, Amazon and Google will give credits, um, cloud credits, online tool credits for like, you know, um, I know through Techstars with Amazon, I got, I think it was $200,000 of, of credits um, to use their services. And Google does like a $50,000 or $100,000 credit, depending on what program you go through. And they're, they're always doing something. So yeah, it's all about researching, researching, researching. Amazing. Tell us about a financial habit that you have now that helps to keep your finances in check, something that you do um, routinely and really consciously. 
So one of the things I do, well, two things. One of the things I do is I make it as inconvenient as possible for me to spend money. Um, and I just, you know, it's just my thing because if I just have money sitting in my bank account for no reason, I'm going to find ways to spend it. And so what I do is I automate everything. As soon as I pay myself a salary or I get any, you know, any passive income, anything, it's immediately getting diverted into um, my savings or investment accounts. Um, so I make it really inconvenient for me to spend money that I did not plan to spend. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. And another thing that's now a habit is that I'm teaching my kids about money and I'm being very intentional about it. So I have a reminder on my phone once a month. Um, they're five years old and they're learning about investing in stocks. And so they get $25 each and they get to pick based on brands they're familiar with and we buy stocks every month um wow so yeah do they get it how do how do you my son's almost five maybe i should start doing this with him so i tell them so for instance my son really likes um nike sneakers and adidas so i tell him well you can buy stocks or you can buy shoes and he's like well what does it mean i'm like it means you're an owner of the company so initially they didn't understand what is a company what is a stock Mm -hmm. but they they're starting to get it because we drove by um um, an Adidas store. And he said, I own the company. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so they're that's getting so it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's such a great lesson. I, I, these are, you know, little exercises like this can go such a long way just because they're getting, they're getting a fluency in the, in the financial lingo. Right. So when they're 12 or 13 and they, they hear the word stock market, they're not going to be like, what is that? You know? And it's it just, it's the little thing sometimes that can really accumulate over your lifetime, your childhood that allows you to arrive at adulthood with a little bit more confidence and preparedness for the financial lingo. And not a lot of the, I feel like people sometimes get really overwhelmed and intimidated by the, just the, the system and the lingo and all the, and all the words. Yeah. I mean, watch the financial news and you'll just like, like, oh my God, what was that word? What was that? You, and you start to feel overwhelmed. And that's when people start to say, well, the stock market is so hard and this is so hard. But a lot of that stuff, you don't even really need to, you know, like some of the comp- complex words, unless you're like a day trader, you don't even need to know them. <laughs> you really don't. And it, by the way, no, we're not saying anyone here should day trade. Gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> you Spend your time doing other things. Other things, yes. <laughs> um, congratulations on the book again, Bola. We want to send everyone to g- get a copy. So where's the best place to, I know the book comes out in a couple of weeks from the airing of this episode. So where's the best place to reserve our copies? So the book is going to be available everywhere books are sold. Um, it's going to be available as a physical book, an ebook, and also an audio book. I just got done the audio um, two days ago. Oh, wow. Um, but you can go to clevergirlfinance.com slash book. Um, you can request it at your local library, Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can purchase books, you'll be able to find the Clever Girl Finance book. So glad we got to reconnect. And I definitely um, look out for my endorsement of the book. Um, yes. So proud of you. So excited for you. Really, I appreciate all the work that you're doing for women. And um, I hope that we can um, meet up in person. I know we're both super busy, but let's do it. Yes, definitely. And I can't wait for you to bring Stacks House to New York. I will be there. Oh, you're definitely, <laughs> I'm, you're on the top of my list for women that I want to invite to do programming and lead workshops and talks because that's going to be a big part of, um, well, it is currently a big part of Stacks House is our programming, but we want to really build it out even more as we go um, to more cities. And especially in New York, there's so many amazing 
um, financial women here, yeah. but it's truly absolutely consider that done. That's happening. Yay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bola. Have a great day. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Bola. Her website is clevergirlfinance.com and she's on Instagram with many followers at clevergirlfinance. And check out Bola's book when it's available, Clever Girl Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money and Build Real Wealth coming out on June 25th. All of this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can listen to previous episodes, download the transcripts. And if you want to send me a question for our Friday episodes, click on Ask Farnoosh and you can leave a voicemail or type in your question. Very simple. And please follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi for more inspiration behind the scenes, answering your questions on the go. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>